Welcome to Your Life Now Radio Show, where your life matters. Your host, Coach Ria, is a certified professional life coach with a passion to help make the difference in the world. Your Life Now Radio Show brings you powerful resources and effective tips to help you live your best life ever. And now, here's your host, Coach Ria. Hello, my friends, and welcome. You are listening to Your Life Now Radio Show. I am your host, Coach Ria. Thank you so much for being here. Whether you're listening to the show live or archived, I do appreciate each one of you guys. Thank you so much. First, I'd like to set my intention as always. My intention of hosting this show is to inspire transformation and positive changes. I'd like to inspire you to make some positive changes in your life so you can live the life that you desire. It's really all up to you. So all I ask of you is to have an open mind and an open heart. Take what is useful for you and question everything. It's your life. So why don't you live it your way? So if our reality is based on our own perceptions and our limiting beliefs, our beliefs system that we have about life and ourselves, so it makes a lot of sense If we change our perception or we change how we look at things, we can change things in our life and we can therefore change our reality. I'm glad to bring on someone today who is an expert in this field of reframing, someone who can help you look at life differently and examine your beliefs, examine your perception, and therefore hopefully helping you change your life for the better. So make sure you stay tuned. We're going to take a short break and we bring on our wonderful guest for today, Mark Terrell, and we will discuss his book and much more. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for being here. Your Life Now Radio Show with Coach Ria will return in just a few moments. You are listening to Your Life Now Radio Show. I am your host, Coach Ria. Thank you so much for being here. Whether you're listening to the show live or archive, I do appreciate you. Thank you. Is everything perception? When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Why is that? Well, I hope our guest, Mark Terrell, can help us gain a better understanding. Mark is the author of New Ways of Seeing, The Art of Therapeutic Reframing. Mark has seen it all. He's an experienced therapist, trainer, and speaker who regularly writes on psychology with the Uncommon Twist. He's the co-founder of Uncommon Knowledge, a solution-focused therapy training company which provides online training in therapy and counseling skills worldwide. Mark also writes a therapy training blog 
with his thoughts on psychotherapy. He also talks about depression and specific problems of dealing with depression, which led him to develop a depression recovery program, a free website about depression, and an online training course for therapists on how to lift depression fast. He's also behind another free self-help guide website for panic attacks and helped to set up Uncommon Form, now a leading mental health discussion form. Amazing stuff. Please help me welcome our guest, Mark Terrell. Thanks so much for being here, my friend. Welcome. So my friend, welcome. New way of thinking. My goodness. I think we all need to think in a different way. Um, so my question is to you, I mean, I know you have been practicing um, therapy for about 20 years, give and take, and uh, you have an a uncommon twist or a little bit of twist on what um, therapy should be and what uh, self-help should be, and I totally agree with you. I was so fascinated going through your book. Um, I felt like you were inside my head because that's, you know, my teaching and my thinking, you know, it's really very, uh, very similar. So when you say a new way of thinking, you know, because I, I introduced the show this way, I said, what is reality? And if our reality is based on our perception and our belief, so that makes sense. If we change our perceptions or how we look at things, we can change the outcome, Right. This simple when you look at it this way. And, of course, if you examine your beliefs, on the show here we talked about our belief system many times, and I give the example of, you know, if you think of your mind as a computer and you have all these programs in the computer, when those com- programs in your computer start to crash your computer, wouldn't it make sense to start to get rid of some of these programs or implement or put in you better programs? But the question comes in from you as an expert, how can we actually understand or even realize we need to go through that step? Because most of us, you know, we live our lives going like I'm actually trying to get back into that state of mind right now into the show because of all the technical difficulties that I have to encounter. But I automatically reframed it because things do happen and the show must go on, right? So here we are and I'm here to educate you know, our listeners, and with your help, you know, we want to talk about your book, and we want to really understand how our mind thinks. But the point is, we need to get to that point, and how can we get to that point? Do you follow my question? I, I think so. Um, we, I, I think whenever we run into problems then in life, and I don't just mean with Skype, I mean sort of emotionally, um, then we can you know, take stock and think, well, what were my assumptions in that situation? You know, uh, for example, we are fed kind of assumptions from childhood, you know, that at a certain age you should have achieved this or, you know, by the age of 40 you should have kids or uh, you should be earning so many, um, so much money per year. And, you know, we have all these assumptions. And then whenever we feel disappointed or uh, anxious, then we can, it, it, that is a signal that our assumptions have come up against reality and something doesn't match. Now, that would be a time. So if everything's running smoothly, you don't necessarily need to examine the, your beliefs necessarily or your, your assumptions. But when you run into problems, I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's important and valuable and valid to uh, observe. You know, we hear a lot about mindfulness. 
nowadays. Mm-hmm. And re- really, mindfulness needn't be something that you do, you know, uh, up an ashram in India or um, miles from anywhere. You can do it in action. You can do it in the moment. And, and so, so that would be observing your own feelings and thoughts as if you were observing them from the outside, you know, like watching clouds uh, drift by in the blue sky or lilies on a river floating past, you know, that would be, and certainly that can be done in, in the moment or, or before you get anxious or afterwards or, or have a strong emotional reaction that doesn't help you. Um, you, you know, you know th- that is a way of reframing it. And so when you run into problems, really, then you, then you need reframes and, 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 and perhaps new perspectives. So, see, my thinking is, do we really need to wait till for something to break in order for us to fix it? I, I No, I don't think so. so I, I think, um, you know, there's perhaps a danger in just believing things because everybody else does. Okay. Well, that's know. what I'm trying to get to that point because what my – I guess I didn't really – because, again, I'm trying to reframe my mind again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, like, follow. I don't script my shows. I'm pretty – like you know i take notes but then you know i'm i'm free uh thinker i guess but what my thinking is to get to that stage in our mind to realize that maybe i need to re-examine you know what what is an up here in my head what do i believe like what what is my reality i mean i give this example every time because it really is relevant i think like about perception so I was in Spain a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, and I visited uh, um, Picasso's museum. And if you know Picasso's work, you know, he's very um, uh, uh, perceptionist and like, you know, he works, you know, uh, what do you, what's the word I want to say? Um, his work is... Impressionistic? Or? Yes, exactly. That's what I wanted to say. So I was looking at, at a painting of his and it looked like it was multiple women in that painting doing different things. But then I kept looking at it from different angles and keep looking at it. And then it came to my conclusion, in my mind, this is the same person doing different things at a different time. And that's how he saw it. By doing it that way, he shifted his mind in a different direction. So I wanted to you know, validate my thinking, right? So I went to, to, to the museum, you know, whoever, people who do the tours and stuff, to ask them, you know, to validate if that was actually the case or not. And it was the case. So my thinking is everything really nothing but a perception of what we think it is, right? Mm. So the reality part of what we live, what we call a reality, is really our own making in from our own head. So I always say it's, you know, I mean, I loved how you opened your book in, in an introduction. He said by uh, quoting William Shakespeare. He said, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So whole thing about like you know what we think it is the reality is it truly nothing but our own perception of what it is um well i, th- I think i think there are you know universal rea- universal realities you know we, we don't have to examine every, every sort of assumption we have about the way the universe works um you know lo- lots of things you know lots of people believe stuff because there's a good reason for believing it um but where the outcome is really important to you then it may be important to examine the assumption you know so for you know you, you might include health and mental and, and physical health uh with with that you know so we can you know okay the moon orbit orbits the, the earth and the earth and the moon orbit the sun and you know uh, we don't have to examine that too much some people won't believe that um but you know that isn't necessarily going to impact us on a personal level 
but you know the diet you should follow or the way you should live your life for uh, good mental health and physical health are things that perhaps you sh- we, sh- we should think about uh, and examine those perceptions. Um, you know, so you have subjective reality and you have perhaps more objective reality, which may be some kind of spiritual uh, reality that people maybe can connect up to. But but on an everyday level, then we have our, our sort of subjective perceptions. You know, so we have um, stuff that we've been fed by the media, by other people, um, stock phrases. You know, uh, for example, you often hear, uh, in order to love someone, you have to love yourself first. Mm-hmm. Well, very few people un- unwrap that and actually think about what that might mean or how to do that. But people repeat it because they've heard other people say it. Um, so that might be, you know, we, we could sort of examine um, that idea. So there's lots of ideas floating around in, in the culture that people, uh, because they're busy, uh, don't necessarily, um, you know, sort of examine. For example, I, I was talking today on, on another show and uh, we're talking about panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very few people realize that a panic attack, I think in America you may call them anxiety attacks, but panic attacks um the phrase the expression is a metaphor you know a human being isn't assaulted by their own fight or flight response but it's a very frightening metaphor for people for the sector of the population who is who is the most frightened people who have panic attacks so um so reframing that to something that's less metaphorical and more descriptive like uh, but less catchy, like an inappropriate exercise response because that, that of course is what panic is your body is geared for gross physical movement and, and uh, you know sort of intense physical exercise when it's not required when when you're in an interview or on a date or uh, you know sort of um, about to get married or whatever it is uh, or, or having trouble with Skype then then your body <laughs> your, your your body gets ready for physical action and you sweat and your your heart goes and everything and and um, you know that is more of a, a, a better fit really for the reality of what an anxiety attack is than, than the, the words anxiety attack you know assault you know because so so a lot of our you know a lot of reframing is, is about looking at these things that we've been fed and actually actually thinking okay well does this help somebody is it helpful to call it a panic attack um with all the connotations of being uh, randomly assaulted by your own physiology you know so, Mark, if I, if I may, you know, I mean, I know you, you use case studies and stuff like that. And, and I, you know, I always try to put things in perspective of my own experience, right, and things. So talking about panic attack, I experienced panic attacks for years. So let me let me uh, just point this out because I think this might help somebody who's listening, you know, also. And then I like your feedback on this, how you, you think, you know, um, brought it on. So, you know. Panic attack, as we know, it's 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 a reaction to something that makes us anxious, right? Or something mm-hmm. that came into our mind, or whatever it is, the situation or current situation. But for me, it started really strangely. I was sitting in my lecture, and when I was in college, that's the first time I experienced panic attack. I, you know, of course, probably, you know, being a student or whatever, I have no idea what was going on in my head at that time. I'm, you know, I'm just a regular student who just went to, you know, school and really enjoyed, you know, my life at school. I I went to college in Madison, Wisconsin. It was a great town to be, you know, to be going to school or whatever. Anyway, the bottom line is I was sitting in the lecture and then all of a sudden I felt the symptoms of a panic attack. I had no idea what that was. And, you know, for people who have panic attacks or experience panic attacks, they know it feels like they're having a heart attack, right? So they start sweating, their heart, their heart is beating so fast, and, you know, whatever. I was rushed to the hospital, 
And, of course, they diagnosed me with panic attacks. And I went on taking anti-anxiety, whatever it is. So I figured out exactly the cause of what my panic attacks were about. But this is like something that was so, so like, far beyond my reach. It, was not, it wasn't even something that was happening at that moment when I experienced my first panic attack. So how do you explain that? Like, what, you know brought that panic attack on well uh you know obviously i i wasn't inside your head back then but 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 um you know the assumption has been uh ria that, that uh our thoughts um produce our feelings mm-hmm. you know, sure. and, and people and say that, well people say you know in order to change your feelings you have to change your thoughts but of course feelings are meant to be quicker than thoughts and they often precede thoughts so you know mm-hmm. um you know, we see this with rationalizations, for example. So, you know, if something unexpected happens, uh, like there's a huge explosion or something, then you don't think, oh, my God, was that a bomb, and then get anxious. You have the anxiety about half a second before the cognitive mind kicks in. So that, that's known as pattern matching in psychology, where, where the there's a shortcut to the amygdala in the brain, the fight or flight part of the brain in the limbic system. And um, the the you, know, so you have an emotional hijacking. And then the cognitive brain, the thinking brain, is uh, is uh, playing catch up, you know. After that, um, so you know, in in order to work with, so, I I work with hypnosis and mindfulness mm-hmm. and visualization and that kind of thing because, um, in order to change um, a pattern match, then sometimes just working on the cognitive level won't necessarily help. So many people know why they have a problem but still have the problem. Um, so many people try and think differently, but they can't feel differently because emotions tend to be more powerful than thoughts because they're to do with survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and our emotions, uh, you know, um, kind of determine the way that we think as well. You know, so if you're a very, you know, if you're a very emotional person or feeling very emotional, mm-hmm. you tend to think in more um, all or nothing, black or white ways. And and you can hear this in the language of someone who's very emotional. They'll, they'll talk about, uh, you know, a complete disaster, you know. Uh, or uh, um, absolute, being an absolute failure, you know, they'll talk in absolutes. And as they, as the emotional brain calms down, the cognitive brain kicks in again. They will see the spectrum of reality in all, in, in more of its gradations, you know. And that's what happens when people are more mentally healthy. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily what you were thinking at the time, but your your unconscious mind or your your amygdala would have picked up some sort of parallel with a previous experience that made you anxious. And that would have produced the panic attack. So that takes me back to what I mentioned in the beginning, which really, like, you know, we don't really necessarily need to wait till things break for us to fix it. So I'm always, like, you know, constantly thinking, like, you know, we really need to examine, you know, what we believe, you know, our belief system about our life, you know, what some of the things, like, question everything, how so, you know. But we tend to not to do that, right? So we just like, you know, go on with the flow of life and that's okay. So something happened and it's like, oh my God, I don't know how that happened to me. So we always come from that place of victim versus, you know, taking charge, right? Say, like, I'm responsible. These were my thoughts. This is how I think, you know. And regardless of where those thoughts came from, you know, they are in our head, right? So, I mean, again, like, you know, how do we get to that point? I mean, in order for us, and I really love, I mean, I definitely recommend your book. I mean, for people who are practitioner or even people who just want to understand, 
you know, the concept of, of, of reframing, right? The, 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 the therapeutic uh, um, uh, point of reframing and how to think in a new way. And how the benefits, you know, how, how much, you know, um, you can benefit from this. But to get to that point, like I was reading an article, like give you an example of some of the things that I'm, comes to my mind here, right? Like in your um, um, site, I know you, you missed your introduction. We talked about all the things that you do, all the wonderful stuff that you do, and all the free help that you have online. And one of them is uncommonhelp.com, right? So in your uncommonhealth.com, this, this article actually brought my attention because I'm just thinking out loud right here. So it said seven, uh, no, how to stop, where was this thing? Oh, how to stop drinking wine every day, right? <laughs> I didn't click on it, but I laughed. You know why I laughed? Because I don't want to stop drinking glass of wine every day. So how would I get to like, when we know that what we're doing is harming us at some at some level, Right. We might take action. So, you know, because, I'm, again, I'm a coach, you know, I, t- I work with action, you know, yeah. everything about, like, what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's what you think and what you do. And so um, when it comes to things like this, like, you know, I mean, you know, you obviously you talk about a lot of addictions and stop smoking, how to deal with anxiety, how to, you know, all these great articles that you have in there. But this has grabbed my attention because I'm trying to apply it to myself, right? So I like to drink a glass of wine with dinner every day. So when I when I think about this, it's like I don't really need to stop drinking wine, right, every day. Or somebody who has an, a really alcohol problem, right, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that they have a problem because they don't see the 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 urgency of changing their behavior. How do you tell people, like, how do people actually recognize that they have a problem? That's what I'm trying to get to. Well, well, I mean, somebody who, who um, didn't recognize that they have a problem probably wouldn't seek help or, or be looking at the article, although a part of them knows they have the problem, you know. I mean, I, mean, I sometimes see smokers, mm. and, um, and you smell them as well. <laughs> right, I know. That's nasty habit, right. And... Uh, well, the thing is, you know, I mean, I wouldn't call it a nasty habit. I would call it a, a, a an unfortunate relationship the person is in. And that would be the reframe, you know, um, because people can get trapped in relationships and they can get abused in relationships. And, and, and um, you know, they can get their money stolen by the person they're in a relationship with. And now all those things happen with, with smoking. You know, your money is stolen at the expense of your, all, all the while your, your looks are sort of drained from you and, and years from the end of your life. So it's a very unequal, abusive, tyrannical relationship. And, and that's how I would reframe that. Now, if somebody comes to, to me and they, they've been dragged along by somebody else, you know, they're, they're not necessarily your, your favorite client, are they? Because the you know, motivation isn't necessarily too good. But there's a part of them that is motivated. You know, the, the part that's, the lungs are usually motivated and the heart is motivated, you know, because it's being squeezed and the, the uh, veins in the skin are usually motivated because they're get, getting rotten. And, you know, the eyes are motivated because they're getting dull. And, you know, in a sense, we can f- almost forget the tiny little bit of the person who doesn't think they want to stop. I'm not saying forget forget that bit, but, you know, really focus on the part of the person, you know, the unconscious part that really does want to stop that self-harm, you know. And, 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 and um, so, so when you talk to anybody, including coaching, not just in hypnosis, mm-hmm. you talk to the conscious mind, but you're also appealing to their unconscious mind as well. And that happens in every conversation. There's a hypnotic element to any communication. Mm-hmm. And um, that, is, that is how I would appeal to somebody who didn't um, 
you know, want to stop. Of course they don't because they're insecure. It's frightening to stop, to, to, to walk away from a relationship if you've known it for so long. And it I is a relationship. I love that. I really do love that, how you actually, you know, because everything really is all, um, life is all about relationship, building relationship, and this is a relationship. There's no other, not like any other relationship, but it is a relationship, your relationship with your food, relationship with drink or cigarettes or whatever it is. And uh, I guess you need to understand the relationship better. Is that what you're saying? Like, Talking to somebody um, Uh about a relationship rather than smoking can be slightly confusing for them, but they always know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, I might say, you know, you, you know, sometimes you've observed a friend of yours and they get into a terrible relationship and you really wish, you know, for their own good, they get out of it. And sometimes they do. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of saying to them, oh, you know, they were, that person was awful, you know, and you but then they get back together with them and you wish you hadn't said that. But 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 uh, but what happens when they get back together with them is that, you know, they, they forget all the terrible stuff and they just remember the good bits, the charm, the excitement. Uh, the early days, not not all the money that was stolen, the beatings that they took and so forth. And then they're bored one night or they're feeling lonely and this person phones them up and says, look, we'll just have a coffee. We, it doesn't mean anything. We won't get back together again. And they go and have that coffee in a wee moment and they get back together again. That's how people go back to smoking. So when you talk to a smoker in those terms about relationships, then you have taken the the pattern of their problem and put it in a context which is less familiar to them. And so, um, you know, we can talk about the fact that sometimes when people escape an abusive relationship, they go back a few times before finally breaking away, which is exactly what happens to smokers. Now, whether you're going to get away this time from smoking or the next time, but we hope it's this time, you know, because your lungs want you to escape and your heart wants you to escape and your skin wants you to escape. And, you know, during hypnosis, I might even get the person to listen, you know, because that heart is, <laughs> tries to pump a billion times in an average lifetime. You know, it's just trying to do its job. It doesn't need to be squeezed in that way. And if you could finally listen to it and it could speak to you in words, what would it say to you now? And, not, and often people will sit there with their eyes closed listening to what their heart tells them about that abusive relationship, you know. And, uh, you know, what, what, would the, uh, what would the lungs say to you? They're just, just trying to pump oxygen, you know, around your body, you know. And, you know, what, what would your hands do? Do your hands really want to work against the heart and lungs, you know? Uh, perhaps they can feel numb with reluctance when it comes to undermining the heart and lungs. And, 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 so, and so talking to someone in this way, really, the conscious, you know, the belief about not wanting to, to, to quit is 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 really can be bypassed in a sense because we're talking to the stronger part of the person, which is the physicality, the bit that actually has to deal with it, with that self harm. You know what's interesting about this. I mean, you know, like all these things that you're talking about, whether it's our our uh, um, uh, deceiving relationship, right, a relationship that we get into, you know, with other people, with our partners, you know, whatever, or a relationship with other things like, you know, alcohol, food, and cigarettes, and whatever it is that we we tend to just clinch on and and just live it from that perspective. But my my question is to you: um, until we understand that relationship understand you know because like for giving an example that's what I wanted to to uh, mention like uh, here in the US I don't know in the UK if they do the same thing like they will like they'll go through a phase where they put all these commercials that like kind of promote fear in you but not necessarily very effective what I find it to be very annoying like what cigarette can do for you do to you right mm. so smoking they show people like dying or they can't breathe <laughs> or whatever See, to me, 
that would not make me want to stop smoking. It just makes me, like, scared, you know, like, just, you know what I mean? I yeah. think it really giving me the message that I want, which has helped me to quit smoking. That's what I'm saying. That, that, that's, that's right. I, aversion therapy um, doesn't tend to be so effective for smoking because, you know, if someone sees a picture of a diseased lung with a cigarette next to it, the the nucleus accumbens in the brain lights up the part that you know wants to smoke <laughs> so 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 um you know and and also smoking's got that covered it's got everything covered so when you're stressed what do you do you have a cigarette when you're relaxed what do you do you have a cigarette you know, smoking is coming so so um you know that that wouldn't necessarily be the best way to uh, help someone I hope you have some uh, something to drink because I don't think I'm going to take a break because I want to keep you on for as long as we want to so we don't have to <laughs> keep you past the hour since we had that difficulty earlier on. But, you know, so here's about relationship, right? So that goes the same thing like with um, um, actual, you know, like relationship with another person, okay? We're talking about, you know, husband, wife, you know, whatever, right? And then, you know, like here in the U.S., we have a very high divorce rate, people breaking up all the time. And then they go and they meet somebody else who is identical to the person that you just left. And they repeat the cycle, but they don't understand that they need to deal with the actual problem of the original relationship. Why did it work to begin with? And most of the time, it really has to do with us, you know, how we think about ourselves in a relationship. And does self-esteem, you think, have something to do with it? That we feel like we're not worth it, or what? What yeah. is it? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, you know, okay. It, it can be, um, you know, what, what what you notice with someone with low self-esteem is that they tend to choose to spend time with people who who view them in the same way that they view themselves. Okay, so we all like to do that. We all like to hang out with people who share our belief system. So um, you know, share. Um, it, in, in a sense, getting into a relationship with someone who treats you really badly, if you treat yourself really badly, is, isn't so weird when you think about it. Um, you know, and, and what, what you find is, is that quite often, um, you know, a, a particular woman I, I worked with had, had, um, had a terrible background and, and uh, you know, um, been systematically raped for, for between the ages of 12 to 18 by her uncle and, and beaten by her grandparents and her father had murdered her mother and, and, you know, all kinds of terrible things had happened to her. When she came to see me, um, she was in an awful relationship. It was terrible. The guy was just, you know, awful to her. And, um, but that, but that to her wasn't a problem. It wasn't really an issue at the, at the time at first that, you know, that was just normal. That was a normal thing for her, you know, familiar, familiarities. Familiar. That's what it is. Okay. People, yeah. People don't, don't really, they underestimate how strong a drive uh, familiarity is. Um, but, you know, as she got better and, and you know, got over the PTSD and, and uh, started living her life again, uh, then that relationship no longer s- fitted her. Like, like when, you're, when, you, when, you, when you grow in a certain way, then if you're still wearing the shoes that you wore when you're 10 years old, then they squeeze and they hurt and it's easy to take them off and it's comfortable to take them off. And, and, and it's the same when people change, then certain patterns of, in the relationships or the lifestyles don't fit anymore. That's another sort of... Uh, analogy I sometimes use, and, and uh, you know, it, it's um, it's easier to sort of be free of them and, and uh, breathe properly, uh, you know, because you have more self-respect. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, you know, my question I was gonna, I always ask the question in the beginning of the show, but since we got distracted with the thing, so why is the book? What, why, why the book came about? Like the new ways of thinking. 
I mean, you've been practicing, you know, and 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 seeing patients for many, you know, for many years. I mean, um, it, it, it's it's um, sort of culmination of, of those many years of of seeing all kinds of different people for all kinds of different problems, um, you know, and, and finding that it's amazing when you adopt the right sort of attitude, you can sort of um, transcend technique, you know, so it's not, it's not a question of someone reading this book and thinking, okay, this is what I say to a depressed person. Mm-hmm. You might do, uh, or this is what I, this is how I think about low self-esteem. Or, but they're creative solutions um, that fit the, the unique individual for mm-hmm. who comes for you so you know a metaphor you get you get these sort of reframes that are pretty good for everyone like you know sort of panic attack being like a car alarm and you know um the car alarm needs to be there but it doesn't need to go off you know just because someone's walked over the other side of the road um you know so we can re- reset the sensitivity so it's still there useful for you when you need it but it's not going to be going off all the time you know so that that would be quite a nice reframe um sort of generic reframe but then you, you get ones that are very personal to the person, for example, I had had a um, smoker who, who was a very astute businessman. He was a landlord, and I, I stopped him smoking um, many years before. And he came back to me seven years later, ha- having started a few weeks ago again. And um, you know, he said he'd, he'd been through a few, a few situations. And we were talking about his business, and he was telling me about his landlord business, and he had all these tenants, and they paid him. And I, I sort of this this is in the book somewhere, I think. I'm probably misquoting myself. And he said, um, you know, that that uh, a good tenant sort of paid on time and was clean and uh, looked after the property. And you know, and I, I I looked at him. I said, so you wouldn't have a tenant that uh, rotted your property, that uh, soiled it, that graffitied everywhere, that never paid you, that insisted that you paid them to live there. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, right. That's it. I can't smoke anymore. <laughs> oh. So for him, that, that that wouldn't have appealed to a student necessarily, but for him, because he was, you know, it was, it, it, for him it made sense, right? And and yeah. I know I appreciate. I mean, he uh, definitely uh, Mark has about eighty-one real-life case studies in the book, and he covers, you know, um, uh, anywhere from anxiety, depression, addiction. Um, and, uh, you know, of course he used a lot of these case studies and, and they were definitely, you know, uh, I mean, I know some of us can relate to some of these, some of these case studies and, and, uh, um, but let's rewind for a little bit here and explain a little bit to the listeners who don't know what the word reframing means. Okay. Well, um, first off, you know, we, we, tend to frame our reality this is what we were saying at the beginning because so so we like to have a meaning or a narrative we like to put a meaning on something or a narrative um you know so if somebody is prone to pessimism then something that someone else might think was a good thing could happen to them and they may put a spin on it which makes it into a bad thing so we you know we all know people who can make the the best of the worst and the worst of the best so that would be your frame Mm-hmm. Um, now, a reframe happens either through some kind of intervention, could be therapeutic or it could be just a life, you know, a life event that reframes the reality for you um, in an instant. And really a reframe, I, I don't see as a cognitive thing so much, you know, so quite, you know, trying to get someone, you know, having someone who, who's dis, dis, distressed come and see you and say, look, you know, had you thought about thinking it like this, will tend to get them automatically resisting, you know, people like to cling on to their beliefs, even if their beliefs act against themselves. 
Um, so really, the new way of seeing needs to be more compelling and on a feeling and an emotional level than the old way of seeing. If that makes sense. So a really good reframe isn't just a cognitive reframe. It should it should go deeper than that. It should make a person feel differently, and and that's where your communication comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, the capacity to actually set the scene for the person um, so that they can have an experience, not just a new thought. I like that experience. Yeah. Okay. I'm I, I'm taking notes here. I'm writing things down as as we speak. So um, so communication, relationship. I mean, those are two two important things, right, in our life. And and I think like when uh, um, as a therapist, um, who sees you know many people from. I mean, I I said in in the intro, you know, you've seen it all. Um. Do you would you like to share an experience, of course, without naming anything like anything like you think you had a very difficult uh, uh, case where the the person can really see it, you know, see the need to reframe or look at reality in a different perspective, and and so he can change or she their relationship with whatever it is that they dealing with, you know? Would you like to share something like that and just you know? Yeah, and um, I, I can. Um think of a um, man who, who um, came to see me and he was very, very angry. And, um, you know, anger makes us very all or nothing in our thinking. And he was also somewhat depressed. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't, he, he kept talking about um, this woman who had fired him <laughs> from his job and also his, his, ex-wife you know and he talked about them as if uh you know this had just happened as if it just been fired and at some some point during the first session i said to him you know um when did this happen you know you know how long have you been with your new wife and he said oh 25 years you know and <laughs> but he was still talking still very angry about about his ex-wife and uh, it was still very current for him and then he was still um he was still talking about being fired from this job and i said well when did that happen and he said well you know i'm 50 now and i was about 19 you know, when that happened. So this was a long time ago. And I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. You know, it might be, might be useful for this man to let go of these things. And rather than saying, well, maybe it's time to let go, you know, because he wasn't the sort of man who was told to do things directly, you know. Um, so you have to see what a person is like before you consider how you might possibly help them. But later on in the session, or maybe even a, a later session, I think it was, it was two or three sessions later, mm-hmm. I put him into a very relaxed trance and I told him this story which might be familiar to you it's about two uh, Buddhist uh, Zen Buddhist uh, monks in medieval Japan going um, from one temple to another on a mission and these monks belong to a very austere strict order in which it was entirely forbidden to not only think about women but to look at women or to talk to women or certainly to touch women and uh, you know no, no sort of impure thoughts uh, were allowed and these two young novice monks were walking along a muddy road and they came to a bend in the road and there they saw you know an incredible vision of loveliness a, a young um, woman in a beautiful silk kimono uh, wanting to get from one side of the muddy road to another without dirtying her kimono mm-hmm. and she asked one of the monks she says um you know can you carry me over to the other side of the road and without a word he goes up to her and he um picks her up in his arms and he carries her across the muddy track and puts her down again. And the other monk is absolutely gobsmacked. 
and he can't speak. He's so shocked, you know, and they carry on walking for miles before he can say anything to, to his friend. And he says, do you realize what you did back there? You know, not only did you look directly at a woman, but you went up to a woman, you, you touched a woman, you picked her up, you walked across the road with her and you put her down again. And the first monk turned to him and he said, you know, that's exactly right. He said, you know, I looked at the woman, I went and picked her up, I carried her across the road and I put her down again and you're still carrying her. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, this, this um, guy, um, it, it seemed, seemed to have an effect because I noticed that after that story, which was, um, you know, really as his unconscious pattern of experience rather than his conscious logical mind that could argue, um, you know, he stopped talking about these events, you know, he knew, and I, and I brought the, I brought them up, you know, I sort of said, you know, and he said, I, I don't really think about that anymore. <laughs> I put, I, I put that down, you know, so, so, um, you know, you know, that, that would be an example of somebody who was quite hard to work with and where we, we would use a, um, you know, a sort of metaphorical reframe because the conscious mind is too ready to, to be contrary or conflict with, with, with um, well-intentioned advice. It's very interesting. Very interesting. I mean, but see, that I'm, I'm trying to like figure this out because I mean, I always thought like for mine we were talking about um, the thinking and the emotion, and and you mentioned here like when you know for for the therapist and other practitioner, you said it's it's uh, changed the way the client feels, not just the way they think. This is a, a subtle point that is often missed uh, when when a so-called cognitive reframing is used. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, obviously, you know, like when we we take a look at, you know, I mean, in therapy, of course, it's different. But like in general in life, you know, people always get used to being treated as the symptoms, not the person. You know, like when when you go to a doctor, most of the time, the doctor treats the symptoms. They don't really treat the person. And that person is the emotion part. That's the way I look at it. So when you actually trying to, I mean, as a therapist, and please, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not the expert here. You are. But because I work in, 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 in neurolinguistic programming and I work with, you know, um, some uh, of the uh, self-hypnosis and stuff like that, I understand that the person needs to understand their emotions better. Like the, you, you, through the stories that you mentioned, you know, a few moments ago, yeah. you talked about feelings here, how he felt, right? Hmm. So, but it's so hard to understand because it's our thinking that brought that on. So, like, how do you get them to, by just keep asking him how you feel about this or bring in a situation? Is that what you're saying? Um, it, it, it's... Um... Yes, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily his, his, it would have been his rumination or his, 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 um, it wasn't very logical thought that brought that anger on. You know, the the, the anger, the anger would have been there first. And then the, you know, quite often we'll justify anger with thoughts, you know, so, um, you know, we, we have an emotion and then we try to attach the thoughts with them to justify the emotions. So something, I could talk about this in the book, you know, sometimes you get people who have very irrational thoughts that really bother them, like, um, the, you know, um, they they suddenly start worrying that, um, you know, they, they've injured somebody inadvertently, you know, they, they may have done something. When they go out for a walk and then they come back and they start thinking that maybe they did something, maybe they kicked a, a, bottle, a glass bottle over and, and someone's skidded in, in a car and, and knocked a child over, you know. And, and, and it's very kind of, and, and then they start thinking they're going mad and crazy, you know, <laughs> because they're having these thoughts. So they, they, they feel bad for having the thoughts. 
these obsessive types thoughts or they think they're going to do something terrible but um they know that they always say oh, i would i never would but i hate having these weird thoughts you know why do i have them am i going crazy and a way to reassure them would be that um you know stress or strong emotion is hard to work in a vacuum it's just like water seeks a channel to fill to give it shape you know then your imagination, your creativity will try to give shape to to your feeling of stress. And if there's nothing in the environment that's immediately threatening, you will find things to worry about. And so you end up worrying about stuff that could be quite bizarre. But that doesn't mean you're weird or odd. That just means you have a creative mind um, that is is trying to bring a shape to the amorphous mass of, of stress in your mind. So um, I'm not sure that answers your question. No, because, I mean, again, you just said it, in the mind. So that means it all starts in the mind. It does start yeah. in the mind. So, like, we talk about, you know, you talk about how to get over, you know, um, the anxiety of public speaking, right? A lot of people have that anxiety. I know, first, when I came, you know, to this country as a, as a you know, I graduated from high school and came in here from Europe and I went to college here and didn't speak the language, I was terrified of answering the phone. I was terrified to just like, you know, and I've always been in the public eye. So I was like in theater and dancing and modeling. I've done so many different things that I was actually in the public. But my thinking that people would not accept me and accept my accent or understand me gave me the fear of speaking. Like when I answered the phone, I, I lived with an um, uh, English professor, a uh, Columbia English professor, as an exchange student first when I came here. And she pushed me and she kept pushing me. She's like, well, that's the only way you're going to learn. You know, you got to you gotta talk and you got to, you know, I'm like, but they're not going to understand me. I'm not going to understand what they're saying. How am I going to be able to communicate? Communication anxiety made me think about the situation. And the same thing I think about, like, you know, in, in a general in public speaking where people get the anxiety, they thinking about, are they going to be accepted? Are they seeking approval? I mean, all these problems, it's thinking. we thinking, then we feel in it. So we get anxious, right? So it all starts in the head. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, because if we're not thinking it that way or if we're looking at it in a different way, same thing with the guy that you talk about, he's angry at his ex-wife, yeah. right? Or anybody who's in a relationship and they pissed off, excuse my language, or upset about somebody did something to them. My ex, I don't like my ex. My ex did this to me or whatever. It's, it, it's that part of your mind that thinking that person, whatever, you know, broke your ego or, you know, or whoever you thought you are, no longer it is because of someone else. So it brought on the emotion. And it brought yeah, and a lot of the emotion is, is appropriate as well. You know, it, it 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 would be kind of somewhat unnatural just to go to another country and be entirely at ease and, and, and relaxed straight away. And sometimes we need to go through these difficult experiences to, to grow as a person too. So they're not necessarily things to be avoided all, all the time. Um, you know, and but it, but in order to get someone to think differently, if it's an emotional issue, we need to be able to open their attention gates long enough for the new learning to take root. You know, and what emotion really strong emotion does is it it it'll only look for self-confirming feedback from 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 what other people say, and will not take on board genuinely new perspectives while the person is in a state of high emotionality. You know, so if someone is in love, then they may mm -hmm. just um, filter out any disconfirming feedback that the object of their love isn't as perfect and as wonderful as they might want to believe. And then maybe later on, 
then they look back and think, my God, why didn't I see the signs, you know? <laughs> because so, you don't want to see it. At that point, you're only thinking certain thing, certain way. You are thinking in a certain way, and that's why you don't see it. I mean, I yeah. right? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I think like most of us like wanted to believe what we want to believe. So therefore, we act on what we think, what we believe. Yeah, that, that's right. So in order, in order, in order to deal, as you say, with the, with the thoughts, you, you might need to deal with the emotion first, you know, which is guarding the thoughts. No, uh, and, and that's what I I'm not understanding, and I really would love for you to go to, well, well, to understand it better. Well, well, the you know, thought we, comes first, right? And then the emotion, and then the feeling comes. Because what brought on the feeling is the emotion, the the the, the thinking, the thought. Not not according to neuroscience. Okay. You know, so so it makes sense for our emotions to be quicker than the speed of thought because they have to do with survival. Okay. So you know, you know, it's um, it is valuable to look at thoughts, but if somebody's very, very emotional, trying to get them to be logical and think differently, yeah, I understand. Okay. Isn't, isn't going to work, you know. Right. Um, so, so we need, you know, as part of our repertoire as a therapist, we need to know how to calm people down, how to relax them, how to use metaphorical communication with them, so that the um, defenses, uh, perhaps employed by the conscious mind, don't automatically rear up, and we can work around them. Um, so, you, you know, really the feeling comes before the thought. You know, I, I, I don't think, you know, as I, as I said in my example, if an explosion went off next door right now, I wouldn't think, oh, was that a bomb? And then, you know, because I had that thought, then feel anxious. I would instantly feel anxious. It's called emotional hijacking. And, um, the, you, you know, so, but then I might think, oh, my God, was that a bomb? Or what was that? And, you know, th that's, if you watch a horror movie, and then you put the rubbish out, the trash out, then you will, can feel a lot more paranoid than you would had you not had you watched a comedy movie and put the trash out. <laughs> so, so the you know you've just watched a horror movie and you put in the trash out and it's a dark night and you're looking around everywhere and you know you start imagining stuff because of the prevailing emotion that you're experiencing. So your thoughts are guided by the emotion. So we need to work on a cognitive level with somebody, but also on a feeling level with them as well, so, so that we can influence their feelings and reframes, a good reframe, a good metaphor, um, having the uh, com uh, conversational capacity to calm someone down in the way that we communicate. Uh, not necessarily saying now you're getting heavy in your eyes, you know, uh, but generally in the way that we communicate um, means, means that the person can then use other parts of their mind which are outside of the emotion. Well, I mean, it takes a lot. I mean, and you know, and that's definitely, you know, I appreciate therapy a lot because I think that that's where, you know, it differentiates, you know, um, some of the practices, you know, from, from really from therapy because you look at it from a different perspective. But, like, for me, I think about it in a logic way, right? So, like, I teach, you know, like, if I'm watching a, a horror movie and I am in, a, in a, a state of mind that I understand this is just a movie. So when I go out to take the trash, I am not going to be terrified or paranoid about taking the trash because I was just watching a movie. But that's the separation. That's why I think most people have a problem, you yeah. know, recognizing a reality. A movie is not your reality. What you watch on TV and all these negative messages that we get embodied with every single day, they are not your reality. And I think that's what most of us get trapped. That's right. The 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 um, part of the brain that that orchestrates the whole thing, the prefrontal lobe, can actually give feedback to the emotional brain and say, "Hang on a second, you know, we've just watched a horror movie. You don't need to be doing this. Calm down, right. <laughs> relax." 
and, and and yeah, so so you that would be the next step up. You you would you would start to and control that, and, and hopefully as as we go through life, we do that a bit more because we've been around more, and we've seen we've seen it before, and we think, oh, I know what I'm doing here, so I kind of don't need to do this, you know. Um, absolutely right. You know, having that self awareness and you know ability to see yourself and what you're doing is is really important. That's why you came to the right show because that's what we're all about here. I'm, they call me the queen of now because <laughs> because I always like to bring it to to this present moment right now. What is really going on right now? And asking ourselves constantly these questions like, how am I feeling? How am I th- What am I thinking about? You know, because when you realize that it's when you bring it to this moment, you are more in control. And I think you know, of course, with therapy, it's different. You know, I mean, people, you know, the cases that you see are completely, you know, I mean, some people, they just cannot see it that way. And, and they really need to be dealt on the emotional level, maybe not on a logic level, because they don't understand it that way. Um, y- 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 does that make any sense? I mean, so but what I'm thinking is, if, if we constantly bring awareness and bring ourselves back to this right now moment and, and, and see what's going on and, and pick and choose what we want and what we don't want, then we can tune out things that really affect how we feel. Um, but we don't do that. And I think that's why awareness is so important. I think if we really constantly try to bring ourselves to this present moment, to be conscious of what is going on, we will be more deliberate, you know, of our action going forward. Because, I mean, let's face it, on an average day, we all are going through a, a, a state of self-hypnosis. We, we go out into the world, we know what to do, we wake up, we brush our teeth, we take a shower, we get dressed, we go out to work, we, we drive to work. We don't know what happens throughout the, the, the trip, what we saw, you know, on our way to, to work, or who do we notice. I remember myself years ago, I used to, they call them the tunnel vision, you know, where you like, you go out, I'm on a mission, I know what I'm doing, I don't need to pay attention to the rest of the world, right? So you could be walking by me. And you will say, hey, Ria, I just ran into you at whatever place. And I'm like, no, I didn't see you. That's because I wasn't present. I was not present. I was living in a state of hypnosis. I mean, like I'm constantly just like robotically living my life. That, that, that's, that's right. You know, and, um, you know, if you think about it, all we really have is right now. Right. You know? all, all, all I have is this computer screen, your voice, my voice. And the four walls around me. That that is that is all I have. You know, everything else is lodged in my imagination. You know, my my imaginings about the future, or my sort of creative cast of, of my past. You know, um, but the only reality, of course, is right now and right here, as you, as you, as you rightly say. And and people do hypnotize themselves. You know, uh, worrying people who worry a lot. Um, you know, create uh, imaginary scenarios. And then they do so whilst feeling anxious. And, and then they're kind of programming themselves. You know, if I imagine mm-hmm. going to, uh, you know, giving a speech next next uh, Wednesday, then, and if every time I think about that speech, I, I imagine even for just a few seconds myself standing up whilst feeling anxious, <laughs> then I'm, I'm, I'm self-hypnotically preparing myself to mm-hmm. feel anxious in that situation. Um, but it's not very therapeutic so, or, or, you know, constructive. So... Um, you know, absolutely. You know, sometimes we do need to wake up from from uh, state of collective kind of everyday hypnosis. You know, I think waking up. I mean, I think that's the you know my mission is really to help. I mean, you know, because I you know I mean I'm still I work on it every single day. I'm you know am I you know 
100% awake? Uh, maybe not, not all the time. But I, I intentionally keep bringing it up to myself. Like I intentionally try to ask myself, I stop throughout the day and ask myself these simple questions. Like what am I thinking about? What am I feeling? How am I feeling? Like, what, Because it brings me back to this moment when you ask these simple questions, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the more we are aware, the more we are conscious, the more we are in control. But let's talk more about your book. What do you want people to know about your book, New Way Thinking? Okay, well, I, I, I want people to enjoy the book <laughs> and <laughs> find it, you know, entertaining. Hopefully it is. And, um, but, but also uh, feel that they can connect with it, you know, because even people who might have extreme emotional problems, we can all kind of relate to their experience, even if it's a, to a lesser degree, you know, if, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's really um, an exercise in creativity as well. Um, you know, because I want people to come away from the book feeling that they can reframe uh, negative events in their own lives for themselves, but also when communicating with, with other people. Perhaps the world needs more people who can do that, who can think flexibly and creatively and in, in a way that can help people see a wider context, you know, less sort of destructive. Um, so, you know, as you rightly said, you know, we're, we're all often trapped in the imagination, uh, so we miss the present um, the imagination is a tool that, that we need to use, but we need to not be used by it to the extent that we're worrying all the time, you know, mi- uh, misuse of the imagination, okay. catastrophizing and so forth. So, so this book really is, is an exercise in hopefully using the imagination in a very constructive way within with the way we communicate. And hopefully people will take that away uh, from from reading the book. Uh, you see, you know, it's a pretty quick read. It's 81 case studies. It has um, chapter headings at the start, you know, talking about the way depression works and anxiety and addictions and so forth. And then it gives examples of, of uh, reframes used in actual uh, sessions. Um, but it really should be, hopefully be for anybody, you know, people who have kids, uh, people who are life coaches, um, you know, sort of uh, people who want to be good friends with somebody and, and maybe help their friends out. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really the purpose behind the book. It's a great book. I actually, it was a really easy to read. Um, I, again, I, you know, connected with a lot of things because of, you know, my practice and, of course, of, you know, some of the cases that I, you know, that you pointed out in the book um, that anybody can relate to. Um, so, you know, if we can take one scenario and, and, and uh, leave, you know, um, leave us with that, you know, with some helpful tip. Let's talk about relationships here. I think most of people have a problem with relationships, right? Um, and and uh, I guess let's do two-part question. Why do you think that? Why do you think most people have problem with relationship? What is the cause of our? <laughs> well, I, I think um, um, part one. Okay. I, I think one of the reasons. Big, <laughs> big subject, here, but um, I, I think one of the reasons is because relationships are so important to us. You know, uh, relationships are you know integral to a happy, functioning, healthy life. So, you know, anything that's really important to us, it will feel like a big risk. And sometimes, you know, when we feel something is a big risk that we might lose it, that makes us more insecure. You know, so, so you, you've got this typical sort of insecurity cycle where, whereby somebody um, starts off really liking somebody, you know, they get together uh, and then one of the partners or maybe both. Um, starts to misuse their imagination. You know, why hasn't that person texted me back within three seconds? You know, um, or why do they look like that? Or why do they hesitate when answering? And, and all these kinds of things. And then, oh, they've gone off me. Who's this person they're mentioning at work? You know, this new coworker that you know might be really attractive. You know, might be a threat to me. And uh, and then you start sort of 
you know, you know that that whipping around in, within the imagination, misuses of the imagination, then um, you know de- determines behaviour in the person, and they start acting a bit coldly to their partner, or a bit worried, and then the partner thinks, you know, what have I done wrong? Maybe they've gone off me, you know. So, so you get lack of communication in a relationship, and distrust, and um, you know, it can, um, um, you know, uh, not not be not be good. You know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people, including myself, years ago, I, you know, two things that was a problem in my relationship. It was um, control. I yeah. wanted to be in control. I think most of us want to be in control. Like, we want to know that we got this person. Like, they're not going anywhere. They can't do anything to, to hurt us, whatever, right? So this is like the, the, the part of us that we think we own the other person. We don't, right? Yeah. We don't. Yeah. And I think that that part of the control. The other part it was communication. A lot of people, a lot of couples that I know of, and I used to be one of those. I'm getting much, much better at it. You know, every time they try to have a communication, they get into an argument. And it's always about, like, who's right and who's wrong, right? And then all of a sudden, you're not resolving anything. You just created a problem. And the more you just let it go and realizing that you really need to work on your communication skills, and this is goes across the board, not just your personal relationship, any right. any relationship, right? If uh, you want, right. Go ahead. Uh, uh, absolutely. So some some relationships are um, relationships have power struggles. It's North and South Korea, you know, with, with the <laughs> yes. divide in between, you know, right. uh, and, and or it's or it's domination, you know, one person dominating another, and you see that in all kinds of spheres of life happening sort of unconsciously as well. Um, and 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 uh, you're quite right. It's, it's people do argue. But what um, research found about relationships and, and communication, interestingly, was it wasn't how much a couple argued that predicted whether they'd break up. It was the way that they argued, you know, the way that their communication happened. Now, if, if there was a lot of criticism in the, argue, in, in, in the, in the communication... It always is, right? Most of the time yeah. it is, yeah. You, you think what a criticism is. Criticism is, is basically a statement about your core identity, you know. So you, you constantly call something someone something so rather than saying i'm upset that you forgot you know uh to bring the milk today that you said you were going to buy at the, at the store you know you say you are so lazy and thoughtless you know right. that that would be a criticism but the first would be a complaint right. so couples who complain to one another and saying you know they were specific with, with, with the complaint you know they weren't always happy with the partner but they, they'd keep to one topic they wouldn't it wouldn't be all all damning you know the person starts to feel um, you know, helpless and hopeless in the relationship because they're always, da- you know, if if they believe that their partner thinks they're hopeless and, and rude and selfish and pathetic, you know, those those are criticisms that they they are global. They're they're not saying you are lazy today about the milk. They the implication is you are a lazy person. This is your core identity, and that is very destructive. So contempt and criticism are the biggest um, what psychologist John Gottman called the riders of the apocalypse. The the biggest things that corrode. A relationship. So couples can argue passionately and have a very passionate, you know, relationship and still argue a lot. But it depends how the arguing um, plays out. And also, people who can't say sorry, um, in you know, people who have difficulty saying sorry, must much less likely likely to stay in, in long term relationships. You know, statistically. So it's very. It's a, it's a good ability. It's a good skill to actually be able to to say sorry and and to not criticize. And, and also to big your 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 partner up sometimes as well, you know, because you get these couples who just put each other down in public, and it, it's just horrible. And uh, you know, re- really, um, you, you know, the opposite needs to be happening as well sometimes. 
That's really interesting. So if you can give us a couple tips um, on how to really be a better in any relationship, what would you say? I, I would say, um, you know, put effort into it and time. Um, you know, so it, it shouldn't. It's, often the relationship is put on the back boiler behind everything else, behind taking the kids to school, behind the job, behind um, cleaning, behind the uh, oven, <laughs> and then and then putting effort into the relationship. So you know, it could, it needs to be more of a priority. Uh, say, um, that, yeah. you know, um, appreciating your partner and remembering their good points and pointing them out to them as, as well as, um, you know, complaining rather than criticizing if, if you, if it's something you're not happy about and, you know, there, there is a distinction and, um, you know, keep, keeping contempt to a minimum and, um, you know, doing stuff you enjoy together and, and also laughing together. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It seems to be couples who, who laugh together. That seems to be one of the strongest things. And, and also when they look back on shared memories that were funny, Mm-hmm. You know, even even more than romantic, you know, funny uh, memories. That seems to do something that really gels people together in, in a good way. To to kind of bring us together versus you know taking us apart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that's really important. Yeah, because uh, um, you know, prioritize things. And I, you know, I we talk here on the show quite a few times. You know, when we take on so many roles and we take on, you know, we wear too many hats. Mm-hmm. You don't wear them all at one time, right? You gotta wear them. You know, and, and, and again, you do it by prioritizing things and, and knowing what's important. And, you know, we go to school to get higher education and get better jobs, whatever, but we never went to school to learn how to be a parent or how to be a, a husband or wife or a partner or whatever, yeah. right? So we just kind of like got thrown into it and we just like win it. Like, you know, we just do it as it comes, right? Yeah. And we make a lot of mistakes and there is nothing wrong with making mistakes, but we need to recognize those mistakes. And I think we really need to sharpen, like you said, on our skills, like, you know, communication, what makes us happy? Like, you know, what brought us together to begin with? I always say it's like, you know, what brought you to be, you know, yes. to, to begin with, right? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I love that question. You know, <laughs> how did you actually get together? You how know, did you the- even get together? If you hate the person's guts, <laughs> you guys been together for, yeah. I don't know, many years, and all of a sudden, like, you can't Stand that person? Yeah. What happened? What brought you together to begin? Was, was one of you kidnapped by the other one, or was it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's that's exactly what it is. Because you know, but I, you know, again, I don't think. Um, well, this is like a bold statement, but you know, I am like one of those people who say it as is. I don't like to, you know, but it's not a judgmental. But I think we we really need to um, admit to ourselves, you know, or take hundred percent responsibility. That's what I wanted to say, because we everything that happens in our life, we have something to do with it. At some lo- at, at any level, but of course, in therapy, you would not go tell your patient, you know, like, well, you know, it's your fault, you know. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, like, on a deeper level, you know, you know, take a look. See, like, you know, what have you done and what have you not done? Or what have you said and what you haven't said? And this is an example, like, my mother growing up, she used to tell us, and I'm sure you probably heard that growing up, if you have nothing nice to say, maybe you don't want to say something, right? Maybe, you you know, you need to think about it before you open your mouth and say something. Yeah. <laughs> but with all that, so where can people get your book? And and uh, we'd love to have you back because I really okay, well, love the conversation. I'd love, I'd love to come back. Um, so you can get my book on on Amazon. It's called New Ways of Seeing: The Art of Therapeutic Reframing. And my and my name's Mark uh, Tyrrell, and you can um, get it on Kindle as well. 
and uh, yeah, have a look. And, and then share some of the other. Like you got a lot of great stuff, helpful stuff online. So you'll um, if you if you type in insecurity in relationships, I, I think the article in that site comes up top on Google. So that is a way of getting into the site without remembering the URL. Um, and that's the most popular article. And it's got about 120 articles, I think, and all, about all kinds of things, not not just about trying to be a killjoy and start be drinking wine in the evening, but, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff on, on addiction and depression and, and relationships especially. And, uh, you know, hopefully they're written in a way that's engaging and, and interesting. And you can have a look uh, on that as well. And we've got a, we've got our big um, hypnosisdownloads.com uh, site as well. Uh, which which uh, you, you can um, get a download um, on, on over a thousand topics. We've got a thousand downloads, different things. Nice, which, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, a long time. So so yeah, that, that's me. That's you. I just wanted to put because we didn't put that disclaimer out earlier. The show is really intended to be thought provoking and for information purpose. You All are right, welcome okay. to contact. Yes, you are welcome to contact right. Mark directly from the information we provided, and you also welcome to contact me. Um, if you like to get some more information, we will have Mark uh, back on the show because you, as you probably noticed, I am all about thought provoking. I wanted to, you know, to, <laughs> to pick in your brain a little bit more about different things because, you know, uh, you, you see it from a clinical part and I see it from a different perspective. And, yeah. well, and uh, But we talk <laughs> in the same language, right? We yeah, are, right. you know, um, c- common, you know, uh, um, we care about, you know, humanity and I think we care about how we live our life and I, I really, my goal is, you know, to, to um, inspire transformation. I, I set my intention every time um, in the beginning of the show and uh, so hang in there. You are um, logged in on my uh, connection so stay tuned and we're going to close up the show and I just wanted to uh, really thank you. Thank you for being such a wonderful guest. Yeah, thank you very much, Ria. Thanks for having oh, me. Oh, thank you so much and remember my friend, sometimes it's really, it's all it takes is us for, for us to change how we look at things for the things that we look at to change. And, uh, you know, um, you are a great and amazing person. And uh, we will uh, see you next time and, and uh, be amazing. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Something exciting and new from your Life Now radio show, a daily inspiration and motivation, and a daily helpful tip to get you going throughout the day. From your favorite host, of course, Coach Ria. Starting March 2nd, So stay tuned. And of course, we will have our scheduled show as usual for Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So spread the show, spread the love. And until then, stay amazing. Be love. You are love. If you'd like to know more about me and how I can help you and be in service to you, please visit my website at www.yourlifenow.info. Again, that's yourlifenow.info. Are you ready to put an end to thinking about how you wish it were and take action? Take this step to find out more by going to coachingbyria.com and you can receive your free consultation session with Coach Rhea.